Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the season previews roll on. We are going to talk about your reigning, defending, undisputed ACC conference champions for like five years running now. The Clemson Tigers, are you ready to go? How are you doing, Mike? They're pretty good. Yeah, they're good. I'm, I'm also they good. good. I'm good. I'm, do, I'm doing all right. Oh, Good. Okay. All right. I was worried. Good. Good. I was worried. It's been multiple hours since we've checked in. So I was just making sure. Yep. No, doing all right. We, uh, we do have a new guest on the show tonight. Uh, we, we had not previously talked to this individual, but he is remarkably knowledgeable about the Clemson program and, and had a lot of polarizing opinions about other ACC programs. We'll say you'll have to tune in to see kind of what we mean here, but Really fun conversation. We talked with Mr. William Qualkenbush, who actually works – William Qualkenbush, one more time. He works for the uh, the Clemson Radio Network. He does play-by-play for a couple of other sports, but does the uh, pregame, postgame show for Clemson football uh, for 105.5 The Roar in South Carolina. And um, had a lot of things to say. And, you know, it's, it, it's tough, Mike, at times for someone who covers a program who is – this dominant over the conference for someone to still be kind of objective about their team and say, well, here's an area where they're not fully fortified, you know, an area you could attack this kind of thing. But I feel like he did that. You know, he's not going to sit here and tell you that Clemson is God's gift to college football teams, but at the same time realizing that somebody has got to do something to prove that they can beat Clemson in this conference. Right. And I'm not sure that we have that in the ACC. Yeah, and that's that's a, maybe a different discussion for a different day. But yeah, I mean, North Carolina almost got there last year, so good on you, Tar Heels. You don't get them again this year. <laughs> but but if anything that William has to say about North Carolina, they won't be they won't be getting there this year. And we'll leave that right there. Where you can hear it for yourself when we get into this, because yes, uh, William might have might have stronger opinions in North Carolina than he does about Clemson. So we'll we'll, we'll just a little tease there. So hopefully you enjoy. Uh, Mike, without any further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Mr. William Qualkenbush previewing the 2020 Clemson season. Go ahead, take a listen. All right, Mike, we now welcome on a new guest to the show. It is it is always a pleasure having someone who's really closely tied in with our, our programs that we're covering. We're previewing Clemson today with Mr. William Qualkenbush, who uh, tied in with the Tiger Radio Network as well as 105.5 The Roar there in South Carolina. William, it is a pleasure having you join the show. Uh, welcome on. How are you doing, sir? Are you hanging in there with all the COVID quarantine and all that? We're doing our best. This is one of my better days because most people don't uh, call me Mr. Normally, like when somebody <laughs> perceives my name with something, it's like something we'd have to bleep out of the podcast. So I, I appreciate that. That was That was quite flattering. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. And uh, we try to keep it a family program sometimes, but usually Mike has the the, the potty mouth around here. So, you know, we'll, we'll try yeah, to keep it to a minimum, but, you know, you never know. Um, <laughs> William, thanks so much for joining us. It, it is a pleasure having you on. Um, we are here to preview the Clemson 2020 season. And it's it's kind of funny the way that we typically do these previews is that we start off with the coaching staff. And frequently, especially here in the ACC this year, there's been either a head coaching change or we've changed out coordinators or that kind of thing. And that really just historically has not been the thing for Clemson here. And this, this program has been marked by staff consistency for years. This year, there is actually a slight tweak as co-offensive coordinator Jeff Scott has left to take the head coaching job at USF. 
And really what that means now is that Tony Elliott in his sixth year with the program is now the full-time offensive coordinator. I mean, is it, that's the biggest amount of staff change here. I mean, do you figure that's going to change anything about the product on the field or is it just going to be business as usual for what this offense has been? You know, I, I think it's a, a little bit messier than this, but I'm going to try to explain what was happening here in a, in a really concise way that could fit in a tweet. So, uh, Jeff Scott was more the sort of game planning Sunday through Friday coordinator, if you will. And Tony Elliott was more the Saturday play caller last year and for the, the last few years. So when people had issues with the play calling, they would yell at Tony Elliott. They would not yell at Jeff Scott, which is really a, sort of an interesting deal. And that's not to say that, that Jeff Scott didn't have any hand in the play calling and that Tony Elliott didn't have any hand in the, the game planning and it wasn't a tandem effort. But if you were to distill it down succinctly, that was the, the primary responsibility. And that also, that allowed, you know, Jeff Scott, the former recruiting coordinator, very good at, at that aspect of the job. That allowed him to focus on some of that stuff as well. Um, I... I I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. I mean, I have this sort of sneaking suspicion that, you know, with the wide receivers coach now not part of the play calling apparatus and the running backs coach now calling all the plays that we might see Travis Etienne touch the ball more than 13 and a half times a game. Uh, that's been the last couple of years with Travis. And so you won't have uh, you won't have a whole lot of folks clamoring to see him more. Um, but you also have. You know, you have Trevor Lawrence, who's a, you know, a transcendent quarterback talent, <clears throat> excuse me, who's, you know, going to be probably the number one pick in the NFL draft next year. So how that works in terms of the, the timeshare and how that works in terms of the play calling, I think it remains to be seen a little bit. I don't foresee radical changes um, when Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott got that job when they when they were putting that role when Chad Morris left. After, uh, after the 2014 season, part of the change that is going to persist is that where Chad Morris was more go, 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 Clemson really wanted to be a little more methodical in what they did. So it's still no huddle. You know, they're not Jimbo Fisher waiting till point four on the play clock to snap the ball. They're not playing at a glacial pace. But they wanted to be a little bit more careful, understanding that they could then boast and still can boast of having better personnel than everybody else. You don't have to go at a breakneck pace to neutralize anything when you have, you know, better personnel at the skill positions and, and at the line of scrimmage than, you know, whoever's across from you in that particular game. So, you know, sometimes you can run a hundred plays like they did against Alabama in 2016, the national championship game. But a lot of times, particularly recently, you're trying to, you know, maybe attack down the field uh, after setting up the run and, and I'll also say this, I think last year, this may have less to do with, with Jeff Scott not being there and more to do with just maybe a, a self-reflection. This is, I think, one of the things that's strong about Clemson's program is that it is incredibly self-reflective. Uh, they are not a, a proud program where um, I, I've seen their apparatus firsthand where they do a lot of self-scout. I mean, we're talking binders full of notes from one year to the next is incredibly detailed. I know everybody does a little bit of that. I, I would be hard-pressed to think that anybody does more of that in the offseason than Clemson, where they dedicate a bunch of staffers, and that's like that's what they do. That's their thing. So one of the criticisms last year was there was an awful lot of throwing outside the hashes and a lot of just 50-50 balls. So it kind of seemed a little bit lazy, like we're going to beat you anyway, so you know why have an extensive route tree? Why have route combinations? Why worry about getting guys super open? We can just throw it up to Higgins and Ross and they can come down with it. And then, you know, if, if that doesn't work, then we'll just, you know, we'll just run ETN. I wonder if they're going to get a little more creative and a little more broad and diverse in terms of the types of routes they run and the way they, they use folks. And like I say, that, that may be less um, related to the Elliott-Scott dynamic changing and now it's just Tony Elliott, you know, as, as the play caller. But it, it may have more to do with self-reflection and may just manifest itself that way. And William, with the receivers that Clemson no longer has on the roster or may just have on the roster or won't be playing. So, you know, T. Higgins gone to the NFL. Justin Ross, a surprise spinal cord issue that he had to have surgery on. He's rehabbing. He won't play this year. Uh, really, it's Amari Rogers and then a handful of relatively unknowns, right, at the in the receiving core. 
obviously Trevor Lawrence is back and everybody's confident that he'll play well, but given the offensive coordinator change or, or just the fact that Tony Elliott's taking on, you know, more of a full-time role from a strategic game planning and, you know, play calling perspective, coupling that with the fact that Clemson doesn't have the proven guys at receiver that they've had in the past. Do you think it's the Travis Etienne show this year more, more than usual? Do you think it's more like 15, 20 touches a game rather than just the 13 that he got last year? Uh, we've been having this conversation on our show here in Clemson. Um, my co-host thinks uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be ACC player of the year. And I think it's going to be ETN again. And and sort of my, my reasoning for that is, is simple. If Trevor Lawrence wasn't the ACC player of the year when they had two potential first round picks in their receiving core, which is each of the last two years, really, um, then why would he be at this year when you don't have those guys? And, I, you know, Travis Etienne's back for an extra season that feels like icing on the cake because everyone expected to, uh, you know, to not see Travis. There's a great story about Tony Elliott finding out that Travis Etienne was coming back while he was in a meeting with Lynn J. Dixon about being the lead running back next year. And he basically looked across the table at Lynn J. and was like, hey, buddy, listen, we got a little bit of a change of plans. And so he totally radically changed his messaging strategy on that particular uh, day and time. But you do have ETN back. And so I think it I think that helps. I, I still think ETN is going to be your player of the year because I think he's going to put up similar numbers. And, and to the point that you raised, I do think that you'll see him more. I don't think it'll be an instance where all of a sudden Clemson will have a feature back because Lynn J. Dixon is good enough to be a starter. And then because they're really, really excited about their young running backs, a, a guy like Michael Dukes. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a guy like Ches Malusi, who played minimally last year, both of those guys. And then you have some incoming freshmen. Uh, Demarcus Bowman got the very heralded and quite inappropriate, unless it's really, really true, C.J. Spiller comparison as a sort of a scat back out of Florida from Dabo Sweeney, who knows C.J. Spiller better than most people on the planet. He, I mean, Dabo's not just throwing that around. It's not like Demarcus Bowman's the fifth Spiller clone that he's brought in. Uh, he doesn't just say that. And then you have a guy named Kobe Pace. Pace is a fantastic name for a uh, for a uh, a running back, in my opinion. But uh, you, you you have him who's a bigger back at 215 pounds. So I think they're going to use all of those guys a little bit. They'll probably throw out the backfield a little bit more, maybe use the running backs in the passing game a bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a time in a, in a recent scrimmage a couple weeks ago where Clemson, because of COVID and because of what at the time was just like protocols and no one would really say the C word, um, but they, they had a bunch of guys in protocols. And because of that, they were out like their top six or seven receivers from last year with like Higgins moving on and ETM was banged up. So he wasn't there. And then like all these receivers are out. And so it's like Cornell Powell and, you know, Specter and like Davo's kids like that was that was the receiving core in that <laughs> scrimmage and so it it is it does underscore that there's a, a little bit of a razor's edge they're walking at receiver but with guys like Frank Ladson and Joe Ngata and EJ Williams a freshman from Justin Ross's high school in Phoenix City Alabama uh, who's who's been really good and then with Braden Galloway uh, potentially emerging as a big time player at the tight end position I kind of feel like you know that they have some options, but to your point, uh, Mike, I think the I, I think that most people would expect this to be a run-based offense. And even though they like to run the ball, and even though they have Trevor Lawrence, I just feel like that's where their talent is in terms of who's getting the ball at the end of plays. Obviously, you want in Lawrence's hands at the beginning of plays, but wouldn't you rather have Travis Etienne running the ball as opposed to you know some of these unproven guys catching it? I think in, in big moments, that would be the case. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, here, what you're kind of alluding to at the same time here, William, is that as much as everyone remembers how productive Travis Etienne was and how many yards he had and how many touchdowns he had and all this stuff, like, to do all of that that he did, he only did it on about 200 carries. Like, as as workloads go, that is not super heavy on one guy because Clemson has this habit of kind of spreading that workload around. You know, you had Lynn J. Dixon come away with 100 carries. You had three other running backs, as you mentioned, that came away with somewhere in the 26 to 44 range. Like, 
and and it makes sense that as Clemson gets up big in some of these games, like they don't need to keep ETN in in the fourth quarter. You know, you can spread around that with no problem. But it seems like there's maybe a little bit of both a a on field you know strategic element to that of you know don't totally burn through your best guys early in the year. But there's also a little bit of a recruiting component of hey come in and just because we've got Travis Etienne and Lynn J. Dixon, you know, you still might be playing early. So there's, I, I think there's probably some intent there to keep that model going as well. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they're, they're not going to tax their guys. Uh, they, one of the, the things about Clemson that works on a recruiting trail is that, I mean, they'll play 107 guys against Charlotte or whatever it was. I mean, they're literally, if you dress, you're going to play. Uh, and, th- th- you know, they take, 72 guys on the road and 72 guys play, you know, against you know, decent conference competition. I mean, we're not just talking about, you know, two win teams here. We're talking about, you know, teams that might go to a bowl game and they just, you know, they dump everybody out, you know, at, at some point in the game. So, yeah, I, I don't think that model is going to change. As far as ETN goes, I mean, the guy's averaging like just a hair under eight yards of carry for his career. He's been the lead back for two seasons. I mean, that's remarkable. I don't, I don't even know how to contextualize that. And the fact that he came back, I think, is a, is a testament to his level of trust in Clemson to maximize his potential without taxing his legs and without jeopardizing his future. Because let's face it, you wouldn't come back if you're Travis Etienne if you thought you were getting the ball 400 times, if you thought you were going to be you know, a, a Derrick Henry type back. That That's not the case. You know, they didn't bring Travis Etienne back to all of a sudden use him like A.J. Dillon. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that because A.J. Dillon certainly, you know, he, he towed the rock really well for B.C. And there's a lot of guys, I mean, Dalvin Cook and Cam Akers and, you know, even a guy like Javon Hawkins from, uh, from Louisville who, you know, carried it a, a crap ton of times. I mean, Travis Etienne is just not that type of player uh, that, you know, you're going to give it to all of a sudden 20 times. And it's not because he is not deserving. It's because that's not the way Clemson's offense is set up. And that's also, I think, in their minds, not fair to guys that they promised, uh, you know, a a greater workload, understanding that that Travis Etienne was probably going to be a three-year player, like a Lynn J. Dixon, who they recruited with the idea that this would be his year. And then like all those other young guys that I mentioned as well. And one other running back I should mention, just because I, I left him off, is Darian Rencher, who is emerging right now and has emerged in the offseason as a former walk-on and went to high school about 20 minutes from Clemson's campus as maybe the heart and soul of the entire team uh, who organized the, the you know, protest for equality here. Um, he has been really influential in Trevor Lawrence's life, so as Trevor has found his voice, it's hard not to see and hear uh, a little bit or a lot of bit sometimes of Darian when Trevor speaks. And when he exercises sort of his authority. So I, I feel like that's a, a crowded room. Those guys are going to get carries. But the expectation is if you're going to get those carries, then you need to produce like Travis. Because we can always just throw Travis back out there and get eight yards a clip, no problem. And so that, I think, is, is how you create competition within that room. Trevor Lawrence last year, he got some criticism at the beginning of the year because some of the interceptions that he was throwing, William. And he was so fantastic as a freshman. Clemson dominates Alabama in the national championship game. He comes in with these ridiculous expectations last year. And I would say even like almost unfair expectations for Trevor Lawrence, which is almost crazy to say because of how elite he is at quarterback. And he threw some interceptions, made some made some decisions in some of those games that I think it was pretty clear Clemson was going to win those games it was almost like he was taking some like undue risks and and Dabo kind of said over and over again you know he wasn't too concerned about it there were some things that just they just needed to clean up what areas do you think Trevor Lawrence needs to improve Um, because he's going to be a top five pick when he comes out uh, assuming after this year what areas do you think he can improve on heading into his junior season I think one thing that he's good at already that well that's really the answer is he's good at everything Uh, The answer is nothing. But realistically, in terms of what you put on film and what you can get people more comfortable seeing you do, you know, I I mentioned the little bit of like, I don't know if it's like laziness or complacency or whatever. 
where it just felt like every time Clemson threw the ball, it was a back shoulder or a 50-50 ball. There was at, at one point in the year, they, were, they had thrown like 3% of passes between the hashes. I mean, that's insane. Like 90, 97% of the time, you're throwing outside the hashes, and that's ridiculous. But that's what they were doing at one point uh, toward the middle of last season. And so because of that, I think people got wise to it. And it's kind of like a pitcher who's thrown 90% fastballs. Like at some point, somebody's going to see enough fastballs and they're going to turn around. You know, if you don't mix it up a little bit, then you're going to get predictable. And so, you know, we saw against Georgia Tech, you know, maybe his body rhythm, he got a little too complacent and he throws what could have been a pick six had he not made the tackle in the first game last year. You know, another interception that game, he's rolling out in the last play to have. He's like throws up a Hail Mary, like a hand grenade. I mean, it just like, like, what are you doing? Just throw the ball, you know, hit a fan, 10 rows up. Like, why are you trying to throw the ball away right directly down the sideline? It doesn't make any sense. So it, it it's those types of things where he, he probably knows that he's capable of doing just about anything, but he doesn't have to do everything every play. He doesn't have to do everything all the time. He had a, a few uh, what we would call here Deshaun Watson moments where You've seen Deshaun do that before, but you know he's not going to do it every time. And so sometimes he tries it and it doesn't work. Th- those types of moments emerged from Trevor last year. That's something we didn't see as a freshman where it seemed like every time he threw it was to an open guy and he was on the money and all that stuff. It just feels like, you know, this year, maybe a, a little more consistency with his decision making and maybe a little more. I mean, we saw it emerge last year, a little more confidence running the football. He runs, uh, my co-host says he runs like a giraffe he's got long legs and I might, it takes him a little while to like, you know, hit the floor. But when he gets going, he's tough to stop. Ohio State found that out when he was a leading rusher in the, the college football playoff semifinal. And I also think shaking off this image, that lasting image of sort of an inept second half against LSU when it felt like Clemson just, did, just didn't have it. Like there was, a, there was a point in the middle of the third quarter where – you just felt like, you know, LSU just better today and it, it's fine that Trevor wasn't able to overcome that. Like maybe his predecessor, Deshaun Watson, that sometimes where you thought maybe, you know, Alabama is just better or, so, you know, some other team is just better today. But Deshaun is there. And I think right or wrong, that's the that's the, the mindset that people bring when they talk about Clemson quarterbacks. And so Trevor being able to shake that image. Um, I think is going to take some games, and I, I really think he's going to because we we know in his career that that LSU game was so it was so much of a one off. I mean, it was like far and away his worst game. It's not even close. And I just feel like that at the end of this season, that's how we'll remember him is like, oh, that was a blip. Whereas right now, it feels like, oh, you know, is is Trevor Lawrence missing something? Like, what what are we not seeing from Trevor? Is he you know does he have flaws that haven't been exposed yet? So. I think that's something that he can work on as well is just, you know, mentally trying to, to shake whatever that is. It's funny you mentioned that Ohio State game because I, I definitely have this memory seared in my mind of that, what was it, like a 50-55 yard run he had on the QB draw. And first of all, how just in awe I was at the time of what a play call. Like they were in no way, shape or form ready for that. But B, watching him like 20 yards down the field and I'm like, is he really going to outrun the entire Ohio State defense here over like 55 yards? It's like, they're going to catch him, right? And then like, no, he just outran them all. <laughs> He's way faster than he looks, I guess, at times. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, how he, like, yes, he finished the year with eight interceptions, and some people are going to say that's probably too many, but he was pretty surgical down the stretch over the last half of last year. You know, it was it really was until they got to the college football playoff there that there was any level of struggle. I mean, it was 70% completion and no picks in every single game over the second half of the year. So you, you do see what he can be and why he's probably regarded as the best QB prospect coming out of college football since what Andrew Luck or something. So um, really a, a pretty special player that we're getting to watch here for at least one more season here in Clemson. Um, it, it's interesting too, though, that we talk about the receiver group changing up that he's going to be throwing at this year because as we discussed before we came on the offensive line is also changing up in front of him too there's a little bit of turnover there uh he had a couple of guards that were drafted in john simpson and tremaine ankrum um and especially kind of where we saw some struggles towards the end of last year there was a little bit of struggle i guess con- containing the pass rush at times and so now 
turning over to a new offensive line, I mean, is there any concern there in Clemson? I mean, obviously still recruiting extremely well at that position among others, but is there any concern, I guess, about how that might impact the passing game while also trying to throw to new, a new receiver group? I, I don't think so as far as the first team is concerned. Uh, they feel really good about their first team. Jordan McFadden is going to be the new right tackle. He takes over for Ankrum there. And he's a guy that they thought about, you know, perhaps grooming on the left side, but they had an obvious need at left tackle. I think Jackson Carmen's a first-round pick. Uh, Carmen's got, you know, a nastiness to him. And, uh, you know, Mitch High was a five-star, too. Um, but I feel like Carmen's a little bit better pro prospect, and he's sort of grown. I felt like Mitch, you know, no fault of his. I mean, the guy was rock solid his whole time, but he – I felt like he sort of hit a ceiling in his development, and I don't think Jackson's done that. Um, and then in the interior, I mean, you've got – it's interesting. You've got older guys in there that have played backup roles. Your center is a former walk-on from Daniel High School up the road who has just, like, been there a million years. A fifth-year senior, Kate Stewart, a guy who, you know, he had a couple of offers, but – Clemson didn't pull the trigger, and then I think, you know, they might have had a gracious arrangement or something like that. But he, like, he was not, he was not like a highly recruited guy. We're not talking, you know, a, a, somebody that, that you would know. It, it, it's somebody that is not a sexy name for Clemson folks. And you've had a long line of really good centers. I mean, if you go back to like Thomas Austin, Dalton Freeman, we're talking 15 years ago, where Clemson had a problem replacing centers, one after the other after the other. Jake Guillermo on the national championship teams. I mean, and, and on through. I mean, you've had guys at center. You move like Sean Pollard. You move Sean Pollard from tackle to guard to center. These are guys that they're, they're not missing a beat, right? So that that dynamic has always been sort of interesting. How they've always found that guy, even if they had to move somebody over there. Um, you know, you've got um, uh, Justin Falsinelli, a guy who was like did nothing and then became an all ACC center, like boom, just like that. So that, that would be a question, but they've, they've answered that question so many times in ways you wouldn't expect that you just sort of think, okay, well, here we go. Here's another one. And then the guards, um, I think Matt Bockhorst is going to be first team all conference. Uh, there, I don't know that I've seen an offensive lineman at Clemson under Dabo Sweeney. That's meaner than Matt Bockhorst. Uh, he has a legitimate edge to him. Uh, so much so that I was very concerned, and this is like this is just having not ever met him or not. I was like, this guy's gonna get in trouble. Like he, like he is just he's just a mean dude, and he's not a mean dude. He's just really mean on the football field, and uh, he is good as gold as a person, and he's one of the leaders of that group. So, and then you have like a bunch of different guys, and I could list them all. I mean, there's like six or seven or eight guys. There's a couple, you know, competing for that right guard spot, and then everybody else is a freshman or redshirt freshman. Or somebody that we hadn't seen. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about Walker Parks as somebody who's sort of in that mold of Bach horse that will really get after it. He wants to work. He's like mad when he feels like stuff's not hard enough. That that's the kind of the early returns. But that's a that's a true freshman. I mean, that's a guy that hadn't been on campus that long. So I I don't know what those answers are in terms of the second team. I can tell you they feel really good about their starting five. And probably if Blake Vinson is healthy, who's a guard that's had some health issues in the offseason then I feel like that's another option that they feel like they can win with. And then they assume with all the mud that they're throwing on the wall with those freshmen and redshirt freshmen, they can find a couple of those guys, then I think they'll be in pretty good shape. William, defensively, there's some talent lost, right? Isaiah Simmons, Tanner Muse, AJ Terrell, et cetera. A lot of guys, a lot of really good contributors gone off the team. But Clemson just seems to always just stockpile talent on that side of the football. I remember there were a lot of questions about what was the defensive line going to look like a year ago when they sent so many guys to the NFL, right? And what was that going to look like? And how are they going to replace all the talent that was lost? And Clemson just consistently finds a way to do that because they recruit so well. So is that the case again this year on the defensive side of the football with guys seemingly lost at all three levels? You know, it's funny, you talked about the defensive line, and I think it's probably in vogue to be like, well, Clemson didn't miss a beat. I, I don't think that's actually true. I think they actually did miss a beat on the defensive line. And, you know, you'll see more of what Clemson is, quote-unquote, supposed to look like on the defensive line this year when Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy and DeMonte Capehart get in there because those guys are animals, uh, particularly Murphy on the edge, who's a freak. 
and Brzee, who may play everywhere quicker than Christian Wilkins did on the on the front. They've been working him at end apparently some in a move that I thought would be just out and out shocking. Like I was yelling at people saying they're not going to move a freshman from tackle to end and back. They're just not going to do that. Well, apparently they are. Apparently I'm the dummy. Um, but the, on the defensive front last year, they they weren't as deep and they weren't as talented and they weren't as polished and they did miss some of those guys, the Austin Bryants, the Cleveland Furls, the Dexter Lawrences, the Christian Wilkins. They, they missed those guys. But what Brent Venables did is he went and studied Iowa State's 3-3-5 stack and he changed his defensive philosophy to use the position group at which he was the deepest, which was safety. So you, there were times in a national championship game where you could legitimately say there were six safeties on the field because he turned Isaiah Simmons' sort of nickel Sam position into a catch-all for a safety that could do whatever. So the other thing that he had outside of Simmons, you also had guys like Kayvon Wallace, who I think is going to be a steal for the Eagles in the middle of the draft, and then Tanner Muse as well, who's drafted as a legit linebacker. He found that in that 3-3-5 stack, you got young linebackers, you've got a young defensive line, and your your best players are in the secondary. So just put those guys out there and let them be in the box some because Muse likes to hit, Wallace can play in the box, Simmons can come downhill, and you can put guys like Nolan Turner and Landon Zanders, who I think is going to be a stud. I don't think there was a better player per snap last year, in my opinion, on Clemson's like reserves defensively than Landon Zanders, who has great hair like a Troy Polamalu type hair deal, you're not going to miss that guy. You might not be able to read his name on his jersey, but you'll know who it is. Uh, keep that one <laughs> Keep that one in mind. I'm really high on Landon Sanders at the other safety spot alongside Turner. But you'd have those guys back there, and then all the other safeties would be in the box. It was crazy. So rather than just be like, well, shucks, here we go. I guess we got to just develop the defensive line. They didn't force it. They didn't force guys to develop before they were ready. They just took some of them off the field. They went to more of an odd front. And they changed their formation and their entire personality on defense. Well, that's probably not true. Their personality is very much the same, but the way it manifested itself on the field was different. What I'm interested to see on the defense, really outside of those freshmen, I'm interested to see with Xavier Thomas now taking a red shirt-ish. Now there's no such thing as red shirting this year, thanks NCAA. So Xavier Thomas can play whenever he's ready and he can play however many games he wants. But for a guy who is, is you know, in bad enough shape when he got to camp that the two sides met and were like, bruh, you are not ready for this. Like, you you cannot play right now. This would be bad for your health. And this is a guy who had COVID and strep throat. If you're telling him this is bad for your body, bad for your health, he knows about that during the offseason. Like, his body has been under siege since March, April. So for Xavier Thomas to take a red shirt, Who's going to emerge? Is it former five-star K.J. Henry, who very famously asked Dabo if he could redshirt as a five-star? I still I, I, I still am like 15%, not even believing that conversation even took place. What five-star goes to the coach <laughs> where he's he's going to play? And it's like, you know what? I feel like I need to get a little stronger. So I, I'd rather just play my four games of redshirt. And they were actually kind of mad about it. The coaches apparently were like, are you serious? Like, you want redshirt? But they, they finally came to an agreement. And then Justin Foster, um, who's been there for a while, um, Justin Maskell in the end. Like, who emerges alongside Davis, uh, Tyler Davis, who I think is going to be first-team all-conference. And then Niles Pinkney, who's been there for ages. Uh, I'm pretty sure the guy was recruited when uh, Bill Clinton was president. Niles Pinkney's been there forever. <laughs> At linebacker, um, you know, it, it's, it's still a bit of an open question. But they have a lot of – they have a – like a Spectre, Venables, Mike Jones, uh, and then a bunch of unproven guys in there, a bunch of freshmen and redshirt freshmen who all weigh about 230, 235 pounds, um, you know, that, that people don't know, like Keith McGuire, Zane Patterson, you know, guys like that that have been in the program that people just hadn't seen because they already turned their TVs off. It was 60 to 3 when those guys were playing. Mike Jones is one that's interesting too because he's a guy that is, is going to play that nickel Sam role He's going to do it a little more like Dorian O'Daniel, though. The difference between O'Daniel and Simmons is that O'Daniel came in as a linebacker and sort of sat in that 215 to 220 range. Isaiah Simmons came in as a safety and grew into the body to play in the box. And so Jones has had to take the O'Daniel route, whereas they've got a freshman, Malcolm Green, who is set to go, we, we thought, to LSU. And Clemson kind of plucked him away. 
at the last minute in recruiting, a lot like Kayvon Wallace and a lot like Isaiah Simmons, who were late additions to recruiting classes, he seems like a good fit body type-wise and in terms of his mentality and the way he plays to get down in the box and, and play that way. And so I'm interested to see how he does, too. The way that front seven congeals, the way that they develop together over the course of the season, I think that will sort of be self-justification for, for Brent Venables to be like, okay, we like how we played last year, but that was a one-off. Now we're going to get back to four linemen down. We're going to be multiple, but that's going to be our base. And we're going to have, you know, a hybrid of bodies moving in and out of that nickel-sam position where we can seamlessly go from a, a true 4-3 to a 4-2-5 and a 3-3-5 sometimes. And I think they have the the pieces to do that. Just you don't know some of their names yet because, well, NFL guys have been in those spots in trench for a couple of years. Well, I've got a little bit of a higher level question for you. It's a little bit of a, I don't um, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but there, a bit of a higher level question. So you've, again, you've watched Clemson as Brent Venables has been here now for eight full seasons. Um, and as you've mentioned, it's, this gets a little bit tougher to answer because his defense has kind of changed shape or form at times to conform to his personnel and to, you know, fit, you know, kind of what they're trying to defend against. Knowing kind of what, he does and kind of how his defenses have looked and knowing what kind of personnel is coming in this year. If you were an opposing offensive coordinator trying to design the most effective way to attack this defense, what is it? Because clearly what everyone's been trying hasn't really been working all that well for several years now. <laughs> uh, well, a couple things, you've got to be really good at the line of scrimmage and that's easier said than done when you've got NFL guys across there. It was a little bit easier done last year when you didn't necessarily have NFL guys across there. Um, now with the guys coming back, I, I don't even mention like Jordan Williams uh, and then along, you know, in the interior, you, you've got guys there. I, I feel like they're too deep at defensive line is as good as it's been in terms of raw talent. Now, when the talent that's there were juniors and seniors, you would see a better line. But in terms of just like physical ability, this is good a too deep as they've had on the defensive line, I think. So that's one thing is that you've got to be good enough on the offensive line. I think you've got to have a quarterback that's either dynamic or that he's being placed in positions to make you successful. You look at the teams that's, that have given Clemson problems over the years. I mean, we're talking the last five, six years. They're quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Kaiser and, you know, guys like that that have uh, some mobility to them. Now, that's not always the case because they held Baker Mayfield to six. So it, it, it doesn't always work out that way. Um, and then last year, the quarterback that arguably gave them the most trouble was uh, Sam Howell. Now they've had like Jake Bentley through for 400 yards. It's a little bit different. You almost have to catch him on a bad day where something's happening. Like last year, it was like 108 degrees on the field in Chapel Hill. And people were like dying on the sidelines during the game and in, like being revived by EMTs to go back out there. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and then, you know, in, in 2018 with Bentley, I, I feel like that just came out of nowhere, that we knew that Clemson had some deficiencies in the back. But th like everything clicked for South Carolina and they just had a, an unbelievable game. And, and we kind of joked about that, that South Carolina was going to like raise a banner for having thrown for a crap ton of yards against Clemson in a game they lost by 21. Um, but that, I mean, that, that's what you have to do. This year, you attack the corners. Now, your, your best corner is a guy who was recruited as a wide receiver who played quarterback in, in high school, who switched to corner during spring practice last year after a couple of defections and some just personnel issues and the fact that they were deep at receiver at that point and immediately clung to it and was good enough to be your number two corner last year. Can Darion Kendrick, who's a five-star, really good, well-rounded athlete, can he be in the mold of McKenzie Alexander, Cordray Tankersley, uh, Trayvon Mullen, who were all first-round caliber corners at one time or another? Uh, you know, Alexander, I think, is as good as any corner that's, that's been at Clemson. A.J. Terrell from last year as well. I mean, all four of those guys, I think, were first-round caliber at cornerback, even though only two of them were actually taken in the first round. Those were shutdown guys. Can Darion Kendrick be a shutdown guy? Or is he somebody that is going to be thrown at a lot and going to have a lot of passes defended because guys want to attack him? 
And then on the other side of him, you have actual recruited four- and five-star corners like Andrew Booth, like Mario Goodrich. And there are a bunch of guys that I'm leaving out there. Uh, Lee Anthony Williams has been really good at, at cornerback. I would attack those guys because this is the first time in a while, really since Tankersley, I guess, that Clemson's number one corner has not been highly recruited and highly productive as a cornerback from the moment that he got to campus. It's the first time in like seven years that that's true. So if I were looking to attack Clemson, I would look to do it a lot like North Carolina did last year. Now, the the bad news for everybody is that you, whoever you are, you, team on Clemson schedule, do not have 2,000-yard receivers like North Carolina did. Um, you know, I, I love Louisville's downfield passing game, but they don't have the they don't have the raw material that North Carolina has to work with. Even a, a team like Notre Dame, does Notre Dame have two guys like Newsom and Diami Brown? Can they can they attack that way? Can they stretch Clemson's defense to that extent? I don't necessarily think so. Um, that would be my. I mean, that's a that's a lot of words to say. Good luck to you. But that's basically it. Like you, you sort of you can you can have these ideas, and these are wonderful ideas. Don't get me wrong. Somebody should hire me for my expertise here. But executing those in a game might just require Clemson being off its stride that particular day, and you might just have to count on that because I think, especially here, we know what it looks like when Clemson is not on the same page defensively, when they're not having a great game, and most of the time they still win those games. So, again, like best of luck to everybody. Those are my best guesses on how to attack it. So the game plan has to be, like, pray for the stars to align then is basically what we got to go with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people that – and this, this is my personal belief. I'm not here to speak to every ACC program, but let's just, let's just get something straight here. North Carolina has got to be the team that's been the most set up to fail of any team that I've seen in 10 years in college football. That includes every Miami team that was totally back, every Texas team that was totally back, every Notre Dame team that was totally back. North Carolina won seven games last year. I'm looking at Louisville, who is dreadful defensively, won eight. Why is North Carolina top 10? Why does their recruiting class next year mean they're all of a sudden going to win, you know, 11 out of 10 games this year and compete with Clemson? What is that about? It's because North Carolina was the one team last year until LSU got a hold of them that really pushed Clemson that we didn't expect. Ohio State was an elite team last year and did it, and nobody batted an eye. North Carolina did it, and people did bat an eye. And so people are like, my gosh, look at what North Carolina did. And it's like they totally forgot North Carolina's entire rest of the season where they were giving up 40 points to nonsense offenses, and they couldn't do anything in like three games. That's my rant. I don't, I don't understand this thing. Except to say that when one team does it to Clemson, we act like that team has totally, like they've pulled the sword from the stone. When in reality, Clemson was basically dead asleep on top of the stone, and the sword was like laid down on top of the stone, and all they did was just grab it. Like Clemson had already pulled it out and like fell, you know, like cracked their head on the stone, and that was it. And Clemson was lousy in that game. They were terrible. And, and yet they still won the game. And you know what? You're asking me about Brent Venables. You know, one thing about Venables that's elite that people don't understand, you don't get two-point conversions against Clemson. Ask Notre Dame and Death Valley. Ask North Carolina. And why teams feel like the only play that they can run for a two-point conversion is like a quarterback sweep to the right. Like Notre Dame tried it, didn't work. North Carolina tried it, didn't work. Venables stays up till like 4 a.m. Saturday, and he'll like find these things. And apparently he like goes into team meetings and is like, if they do a two-point conversion, here's the thing. And it's like two hours before game time. And the players are like, dude, relax. Like, it's fine. We got this game plan. But he'll find stuff like that at the 11th hour and use it to beat you. And, again, like, a lot of stuff went wrong for Clemson that day. They did not play particularly well. And they still found a way to get it done because that's that's what they do. But, that like, that's why North Carolina all of a sudden is supposed to win all their games this year and be, like, the next big thing. And when they go, you know, 6-4 and four with their ACC portion of their schedule – People are going to wonder what happened, and the reality is that they did a basic thing that most people should have expected a team with that type of ability to do, and it's all because they played out of their mind against a Clemson team that wasn't up to par. Incredible North there. Carolina rant. Sorry Absolutely yeah, incredible. I, so good. I'm, I'm not so here good. to do that. I should have stayed in my lane a little bit, but that <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually feel bad. I do. I, I actually feel bad for them because if they don't finish in the top four of the ACC – it's going to be seen as a colossal failure when that is totally in the realm of most likely possible outcomes, in my opinion. 
I'm, I mean, I, I'm a Virginia Tech alum, and I cover Tech, and I, you know, Tech beat them in like six overtimes last year, and all of a sudden, North Carolina is like this team that's far and away better than Virginia Tech and Louisville, and I don't get that either. I think North Carolina has a chance to be really good, but I agree with you. They also have a chance to be like eight wins, like basically the same team as they were last year, adjusted for a win or two because they lost a bunch of games inside seven points. Like, I, I totally agree with that. Back to Clemson special teams. It, it's almost like BT Potter is like an Alabama reincarnation. Like, they have a bunch of issues at kicker, but not everywhere else. And it's the strangest thing to me that Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney can have programs that are this good, but somehow at the same time have kickers that can't convert kicks from inside 40 yards. Yeah, we, you know, politics has it like the third rail of politics. Like, you don't, you don't talk about like social security. You don't talk about all this stuff. I love politics. So a lot of my comparisons are political. These third rail issues that you're just not supposed to touch. Here in Clemson, the third rail is special teams. You don't touch special, you don't talk about special teams. You just let special teams be what they are and hope you score lots and lots of touchdowns and you give up no points. Um, You know, the kicking game has got to be better um you know bt potter came in with a huge leg he's so automatic they, they may as well spot the ball i think dabble actually had a quote about this that they should just spot the ball at the 25 because he like he is going to kick it through the end zone and when he doesn't there's a reason they're probably picking on somebody so that's not going to end well either um so that that's that's the part of the kicking game you sort of take the good with the bad with him he's a guy that can hit from 55 but has trouble from 30 that that just that's got to improve i mean just this point blank to be honest and then will spires has had moments where he's looked good uh he's been inconsistent and the consistency factor i think is is a little bit of an issue to a lot of people and clemson brought in a punter named aiden swanson who was highly regarded has a big leg is you know physically gifted um he's not quite as big i don't think it's like a bradley pinion but uh, it's it's that type of thing. That was Clemson's last punter that that went to the league, and it, it's still in the league as far as I know, uh, uh, punting for somebody. But the the punting game has got to be a little bit better. The good news for Clemson is, and I've said this before, you don't need a guy that's going to kick it 50 yards, probably. You need a guy that's going to kick it like 30 yards to pin the opposing offense inside the 20 or the 15-yard line because most of your drives, you're going to get one or two first downs and maybe a penalty or a drop ball or you know, a, a blown assignment or something like that is the reason you don't get the first down. So that Clemson's punting, they don't need J.K. Scott from Alabama. Uh, they don't need a guy like, you know, Georgia Tech's Presley Harvin, who I love. I They don't need guys like that. You just need somebody that can do the old Madden video game coffin corner. Uh, that's what you need to, to pin guys inside the 15 and the 10. And Spires has been pretty good at doing that. Um, I, he needs to be better because he's an older player now. He needs to do better or Swanson's there. And at this point, I think with competition, I don't, you know, I don't see any reason why if he struggles, you wouldn't give Swanson a look if you're the coaching staff. Or interesting, like football X and O's question or uh, discussions that I've ever had was actually with a special teams coach who was correcting me on the fact that I was judging a punter based on, you know, what his average was or, or that kind of thing. And he's like, if they're punting from the 48 yard line, you've only got so far you can kick it. Like the goal is really is not to kick it that far. It should be, you know, inside the 20 and what is the return and what's the hang time. He's like, there's, there's much better ways to, to judge this kind of thing. And I was like, Oh, well, yeah, that's a good point. So it's, it's an interesting point that you bring up that, yeah, we, there's different ways to look at this and we need to judge it that way. Um, Last thing we kind of want to do here before we get out of here, William, I want to look at the schedule a little bit for Clemson this year. And as I look at it, I can't help but think that there was a little bit of almost intentionality, I'll say, coming from the ACC and that, you know, if you if you stack up like the four or five trickiest teams in the conference to play for Clemson, even knowing that they've been far and away the best team, they haven't lost a conference game in like three years, you know, whatever it is. Clemson misses two of those top five teams probably in, in North Carolina and Louisville. I mean, it, it, we don't have to rehash that discussion, but, you know, they are probably some of the best teams not named Clemson. They get Notre Dame, Miami, and Virginia Tech. And 
I mean, two of those on the road, but like all these tricky quote unquote games that Clemson is, is signed up for at this point, like none of them are back to back. Like this is as the schedule is being set up here is as favorable, you know, to, to, I think support Clemson in avoiding that landmine anywhere, you know, like they, 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 it's balanced pretty well. I think front to back, top to bottom, all this on who they play and when does it, does it feel that way to you? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll say is that the last four games feels like the – I mean, that feels like the the obvious pitfall situation because – and I know not having fans or having, you know, limited crowds changes things, but when, when you talk about in your last four games going to South Bend, going to Tallahassee, and going to Blacksburg, those are not easy places to go and win. Clemson has done it in all three of those places, even if they, you know, the one in South Bend was like 40 years ago. Um, they've done it before, and they've gone into hostile places, difficult places, and they've come out with wins. So that's that's not really been an issue for them, but it, it doesn't mean that it, it won't be an issue this time or that it shouldn't be considered a, a theoretical issue when you look at the schedule. I think part of what makes it seem so um, like potentially daunting is that the first part of the schedule is is just stupid easy. Uh, you've got teams that aren't making bowl games. You've got the Citadel. You've got you know uh, it's, it's just a smorgasbord of teams that are winning three games this year. Um, and you know you've got issues. Virginia. I mean they named Brennan Armstrong the quarterback. We don't you know how long does that last? We got Keetown Thompson there. We don't you know we have no idea. Um, yeah, you've got Georgia Tech on this guy. You got Wake Forest starting with God knows who. I mean, Carlos Basham and the you know '84 Dwarfs in there. I I mean I I don't <laughs> see I don't see a lot of pitfall there. I mean Miami's fine. That's nice. The last time Clemson played Miami, they won by 100,000 points in the ACC championship game. So I don't think anybody's particularly fearing Miami at this point. So I think the the last four games seems a little bit more daunting because of the the ease with which Clemson seems like it can navigate the first seven. And I, I would, I mean, I'd frankly be surprised um, if they had an issue in the first seven games. I'm a little, I'm a little bond. I, I wanted to see Louisville again on the schedule. Um, I kind of wanted to see NC state uh, just because that used to be a rival. Like when I was a kid, it was a rivalry textile bowl and it still like, matters to people. But other than that, the, I mean, the schedule sets up great. And the, the weird thing about the ACC this year is it's easy to – I mean, you can almost cut it into thirds. Like, you've got, like, the – I mean, Clemson's obviously at the top, and then you got some teams there in the second tier, and then, you know, some teams down at the bottom that just aren't going to beat anybody except each other. And uh, Clemson seemed to get most of the teams from the bottom tier. And uh, that's, that's going to seem really unfair to Alabama and Auburn and LSU and people like that. People like Georgia who, you know, these, these schools that added, like – Arkansas and Missouri and the SEC are going to whine about Clemson's schedule. So that's fine. I was going to say how, how long until other schools in that elite category across the country and other conferences complain about Clemson's schedule only to then see Clemson in a playoff game and lose by like three or four scores. What what's today, Wednesday, we're recording this Wednesday, September 2nd. Uh, That means that yesterday, today and forever people will be doing that. So that's that's already happening. In fact, I think, and I like if you hear in the distance, you can hear a caller on Feinbaum saying it right this moment. If you really listen, uh, that that just seems like something that's perpetually a thing. We have people that will text our show and tweet us and talk about Clemson's schedule all the time, and they root for teams that can't be Kentucky. So I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> Shout out South Carolina. <laughs> um, Get them. Yeah. So anything, anything other than an undefeated season in the ACC, you know, I, I can't imagine Clemson even losing a game here, William. I mean, it's easy to just say, hey, look, there's some games that could give Clemson a little bit of trouble, but I, I have, I have trouble seeing them lose to anybody on this schedule. Notre Dame is probably their toughest game on paper, but even Notre Dame, I mean, I think Clemson should be a seven, ten point favorite there. Yeah, I think FPI has Clemson like a ninety-one percent chance to even beat Notre Dame. Like I, I don't, I don't see any, I don't see any pitfalls here. Um, and frankly, it would be if they lose ever this year, maybe before the national championship game, depending on who's there, 
it would be a colossal disappointment because you do have Trevor Lawrence just this once. People will say that. He'll be like, technically, I have three more years. You have you have 13 more games, 14 more, whatever, 14 more games, and then you're going to go to the Jaguars or Washington FT, like whoever ends up with the number one pick. That's, that's what's going to happen. Um, you get Travis Etienne back. What a blessing. You want to see him run and maybe get back-to-back-to-back ACC Player of the Year awards. There, There's just – there aren't a lot of uh, ways that you can lose unless you just – I mean, just totally trip and fall over yourselves for 60 minutes. Um, and that I think people understand that, that Clemson is in a totally different class. It has no peers right now. Even bringing Notre Dame into the league has no peers. And people will – everybody's bold prediction now is Notre Dame splits with Clemson. North Carolina splits with Clemson. Somebody – you know, nobody goes in the ACC championship game undefeated. Like, okay, that's that's fine. When has Clemson lost a game to a team that was its peer or like its number one rival? Don't they just destroy those teams like in the last six years? The, the games that Clemson almost loses are teams that either win three games or the quarterback gets like, like, what are we doing here? The one Syracuse game where Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, they still won. Like they, they beat Syracuse by literally only running it and Chase Bryce completing four passes. Uh, you know, unless you're a team that's nondescript, you're not. You're not beating Clemson. So the people who are like, oh, Notre Dame's going to get them. It's more likely Notre Dame loses by 30 and then 40 than that they beat Clemson this year because everyone knows that that's the game. Like North Carolina, like God bless North Carolina. If North Carolina does get there, they're going to lose 40 to three like Miami did last time. Like that, there's no, there's nobody less likely to beat Clemson than the team that everyone and their mother thinks they're so smart saying they're going to be Clemson. The teams are going to be Clemson is like Wake Forest, who takes half a roster in there and, and like into Sleepy Hollow and wins. Or, you know, uh, a team like Georgia Tech, who Jeff Collins, like, you know, breaks a table in half with his two pinkies and go they go out there, you know, doing 300-pound, you know, bicep curls with a bar between series. And they're just out there, like, just jacked up to no end, just pumping Red Bull from an IV on the sidelines. Those are the teams that beat Clemson. The teams that you think should have a chance have no chance. And I don't think people really understand that yet. William, I don't know what your schedule looks like, but if, if you want to come back and help us preview North Carolina, I sense you have some strong opinions there. <laughs> we, we, we'd love to talk to you a little more in depth about that. You know, I, I, like, I don't hate their personnel. I'm just like, okay, let's, let's do the math here. Seven wins last year, some really confounding performances, inconsistency, a lot of those players are back, but they were like three stars. North Carolina is the second best team in the ACC because they are recruiting five stars now. Got it. What does that mean? <laughs> like, I swear, people are like, my God, they got a top 50 commit from 2022. They are totally beating Clemson this year. Like, he's 15. Relax. We got two years before he gets here. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. People do that so much. They're like, wow, Florida is really struggling in recruiting this year again. Yeah, did you see Kyle Trask? Have you seen that guy? Like, he's pretty good right now. He's pretty good right now. We legit, we made this mistake. We make this mistake so many times. A team gets hot on the recruiting trail, and we think it means their team that's literally there right now is going to have a good season. Tennessee, looking at you with your 38 three-star commits for uh, for the next class. That like that is not the way this works. And people are doing it with North Carolina, and we always do this with somebody, and they totally fail in our minds, even though they performed in a reasonable manner, because we had no idea what to what to do with them or what to say about them. So I I do have sympathy for North Carolina, but they like to me they are the team that is most likely to crash and burn in this league because people's expectations are outsized. William, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, thank you so much. A lot of a lot of insights here, a lot of knowledge, a lot of strong opinions on other teams. Clearly, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us and for spending the time here with us today to to talk Clemson. Uh, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find you and your stuff? Yeah, we are on one hundred five point five FM. If you're in the Upstate of South Carolina, sort of the Greenville, Clemson, Anderson area in Spartanburg, ninety-seven point five FM and fifteen sixty AM. We're there. And then all across the free plane and around the world, you can hear us at theroar.radio, wccbfm.com, and the Roar mobile app. You can download our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, my show is called Out of Bounds with Quok and Kelly. I'm with Kelly Gramlich, who's on the ACC Network. You can catch her on ACC Network during uh, basketball season, breaking down uh, women's basketball there. And so, um, you know, that's, to me, 
there is no way that you could possibly not hear us if you want to. So if you've liked what you've heard, there's about nine different ways you can catch us. Well, we appreciate it, William. Um, definitely, we'll have you back on without a doubt um, to talk Clemson. If anything interesting happens with Clemson this year, which uh, might not really be until the playoff, if we're being honest and truthful with ourselves. Anytime, guys. I appreciate it. At Qualk Talk on Twitter, too. I probably need to throw that in there. Selfless plug. At Qualk Talk. I, I hope you'll be entertained by that. You're the man. Appreciate it, William. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks. Appreciate it. All right, Mike. And once again, that was Mr. William Qualkenbush of 105.5 The Roar, uh, covering all things Clemson football. Remarkably knowledgeable. Lots of opinions on things Clemson and otherwise. I, I, I don't want to really hammer on this too much. We could sit here and try to dissect this a little bit, but let's just do a really quick exercise with Clemson's schedule. Um, I'm going to read off games that they play. And I want you to say stop the first time that you really feel like there's a game on this schedule that they might could possibly lose. Are you ready? Yeah. Go. All right. At Wake Forest. The Citadel. Stop. These aren't your daddy's bulldogs. Just ask Jeff Collins. Okay, continue. Yeah. W not not winless in the ACC last year. That is that that's, is true. That's, <laughs> that's right. Um, just kidding. Continue. Uh, Virginia. Miami, still at home, at Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Boston College, at Notre Dame. Stop. That is the okay. toughest game on that is the toughest game on their schedule. Yeah, so you so what a lot of people would tend to agree is probably the second best team in what is this year's ACC. You get that game on the road in game number not eight. Game number eight. Yes. So the first seven, just, just it's a participation class. Like, just show up and sign your name, and you'll be seven and zero. It won't be a problem. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so there's there's one losable game here, Mike. So let's keep going and tell me, say stop again when you find a possibly losable game for Clemson. Are you ready? Yep. All right. So resuming from there, at Florida State, Pittsburgh, at Virginia Tech. There is their second toughest game, but they're not going to lose it. Continue. That's really not that tough. At the ACC championship game in Charlotte. Yeah, and that's probably going to be a rematch against Notre Dame. So College football playoff semifinal. Mm. Stop. Maybe? Stop? Yeah. Um, so quite simply, Clemson again, not a perfect team. There is not; it's not a flawless thing. They're going to have their moments, sure, but it is really, really hard to to pick any scenario where they go worse than ten and one. And it is really kind of bold to pick them to go anything worse than eleven and zero. Honestly, yeah, yeah. If we're being honest with ourselves, there's not a single game on this schedule that they should lose. Yep. Uh, and, and Mike, I, I could ask you the question, but in fact, I'm not going to. I'm going to tell you what your Clemson record prediction here is in these 10 ACC games. Oh, you're going to tell me. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to tell you and you tell me if I'm wrong. How about that? Yep. Go. You got Clemson at 10 and 0. I do. Yeah, same. Same. Do you think they'll beat the Citadel, uh, though? That's that's it. That's a real important question. Will they beat the Citadel? Okay. That's 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 tricky. They, they run that same system that once upon a time ran through Alabama's defense, like and I quote, "shit through a tin horn." So, oh yeah, you know, it could happen to anybody. Good that's old all old Saint old Saint Nick with another uh, banger of a one-liner <laughs> in a weekly press conference. <laughs> no, I I don't really think that Clemson has any reason to be afraid of the Citadel. To be fair, I didn't think Georgia Tech did last year either, but you know, we we live we live and we learn. Like, yes. We live and we learn. I I don't want to draw this out any further. This doesn't have to be any harder than it is. Clemson, by all means, seems like they are going to run the table once again. To to be the king, you got to beat the king, Mike. And they are the king right now, and that's as simple as we can make it. They're the uh, best team in the ACC. They are one of the two or three best teams in college football. They will be in the playoff, assuming there is one, and they will be playing for a national championship, I believe. So. Yep. Yeah. 
And, and if if you had to pick the one game that they might could possibly lose, it is probably that road trip to South Bend against Notre Dame. But yep, the, there it is such a drop off to the second most losable game that. I mean, this schedule was designed. It was handpicked for Clemson to run the table and just make the playoff yet again. So I, I, I don't think I can put it any other way. TV needs more Dabo. That's what I always they say. Sure do. They sure do. Bring your own guts, Mike. Bring your own guts. Yep. Bring your own guts. All right. That's all I got in Clemson. Anything else? I don't think so. I think we're good. Yeah, I think so too. All right, let's get out of here. Let's go uh, keep previewing some teams. We only got a few more to go, um, but we're going to keep doing that. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT. Uh, together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Spotify, Anchor, other places. That's all, that's all fine. Um, you can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address, Notre Dame Basketball Conference Podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias, and Mike is going to tell you where you can do that. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Yes, please do. Please do. That was a little, that was one of those little like wobbles on the bicycle. You know, you stayed up. Still oh, I, was right, wheels, I was but... right there. I was right there ready to go. <laughs> so it was a weird alley-oop on my end. So I, I apologize, but well, well done throwing it down anyways. Um, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're all set, man. You want to come back and keep previewing these teams? Yes, sir. Almost done. Almost done. Let's do it. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. William Qualkenbush, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.